Welcome to this special Word on Wednesday podcast for Thanksgiving. My name is John Mason. Thank you for joining us. King Lear, one of Shakespeare's greatest tragedies, tells the story of a king who voluntarily set aside his titles and property in favour of two of his three daughters, only to find himself reduced to poverty and homelessness because they reject him. In gratitude, thou marble-hearted fiend, King Lear sighs, how sharper than the serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. While some parents might identify with these sentiments, let me ask, how often do we express our gratitude to the Lord? He is so good to us, far beyond our imagining. Do we thank Him daily for His countless mercies, and not least in this season of thanksgiving? The opening lines of Psalm 95 read, O come, let us sing to the Lord, let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let's come into His presence with thanksgiving. Singing is a great way to express our love for God. We sing when we are happy, and there is joy in our hearts. Have you ever heard the singing of the Welsh Rugby Union supporters? They can't stop, and their singing is enthusiastic, especially when they're winning. The opening lines of Psalm 95 are the words of people who know God as their Creator and Saviour. We feel the repetition of the verbs, sing, make a joyful noise. How different this is from times when we drift into church, preoccupied, late and apathetic. Furthermore, Psalm 95 suggests that singing is not just a matter of joy in the Lord. We also exhort and encourage one another. And so our songs need to be strong on Bible and not insipid and sentimental. Our songs are not intended simply to arouse some spiritual ecstasy. They are instruments of instruction. And as the psalm unfolds, we see why we should sing. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are His also. One of the distinct features of biblically grounded Christianity is the insistence that there is a living, personal God at the heart of the universe. God not only created all there is, He also continues to sustain it. Significantly, the more scientists discover, the more extraordinary the universe seems. There are chemists and physicists who tell us what the scriptures reveal. The universe has not come into existence by chance, but rather is the work of God's design and purpose. Consider the personal pronouns in verses 4 and 5. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, for His hands formed the dry land. These are personal images. The word hand speaks of a God who is not some robotic brain behind the universe. When we plumb the depths of the cosmos, we find not so much a mathematical equation or scientific formula, but a divine personality. All this tells us something else. God sustains and directs all things. It's important to know this and remind one another of it, for it helps us make sense of our own lives. We see that we're not just part of a meaningless journey, going nowhere. The New Testament gives us all the more reason to see how true this is. 
In his public ministry, Jesus showed that he has divine authority and divine power. At a word, and in a moment, he healed the sick, raised the dead, and stilled a storm. The New Testament speaks of Jesus as God incarnate, who holds all things in his hands. It's sometimes said that people who go to church leave their brains at the door. But worship of God is not a mindless activity. Songs of praise are not simply a strategy to create the right psychological atmosphere. Vital faith in the Lord always awakens joyful singing because there are sound reasons for this response of thanksgiving. And there's another great reason for singing to the Lord. Our lives have a purpose, a goal. And that purpose and that goal are bound up with knowing this God who is our refuge. No wonder Psalm 95 insists that we make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. But the psalm brings a solemn warning in verse 8. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Harden not your hearts as at Meribah, as at the day of Massa in the wilderness. At the very point when we might want to dance and shout, the psalm takes a solemn turn. The poet wants us to consider what true worship involves. Our actions might seem worshipful, but our real self remains unchanged towards God. Meribah and Massa marked places where Israel forgot God's goodness when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. On both occasions, the people doubted God's promise and his power. When the going got tough in the desert, they faltered and bitterly complained. We were better off as slaves in Egypt, they said. The letter to the Hebrews quotes this psalm. The writer knows how easy it is, even for people who have been bought and bound to God by the perfect Saviour, Jesus Christ, to neglect such a great salvation. Through the obedience of this one man, Jesus Christ, God executed a masterstroke when he opened up a new and perfect way into his presence and a life forever. Psalm 95 exhorts us to sing to the Lord with joy in our hearts. It also warns us against turning our back on the salvation he has won for us. We who live on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection express our joy in him and trust his promises. Having grasped his great gift with thanksgiving, let's not turn away. How often do you think about God's mercy? with thanksgiving in your heart and a song of praise on your lips? Not only when you go to church, but also when you rise in the morning and go to bed at night. Let me pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give humble and hearty thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all people. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your amazing love in the redemption of the world through our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us that due sense of all your mercies, so that our hearts may be truly thankful and that we may declare your praise not only with our lips, but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service 
and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honour and glory, now and forever. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom The power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. 
God our Father, whose will is to bring all things to order and unity in our Lord Jesus Christ, grant that all the peoples of the world, now divided and torn apart by sin, may be brought together in his kingdom of love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen. People involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, and Catherine Jacob, who leads a ministry for women in Birmingham, Alabama. Prayers are from an Australian prayer book, 1978, and the opening and concluding music is from St. Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney. John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace, is sung by the Chamber Choir of the Cathedral under the direction of Ross Cobb. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you.